Hello, Internet! A few things before we get into the show today. Members from the Drunk and the Ugly will be doing panels this year at Gen Con. If you're attending and you want to sign up, we're hosting Indie Design, the Chicken Salad Way, and Intro to Skype Gaming. We will also be checking our Twitter while we're there, so send us a message or tweet at us if you want to meet up or whatever. We're also starting a new YouTube channel called The Drunk and the Spooky, where Sam reads creepy stories written by Stephen Shorter and others from around the internet. We're hoping to post new videos there once a month or so. If you want us to read your story on the show, send it to thedrunkandtheugly at gmail.com. We'll also be posting the readings here on the podcast, so check them out as they show up. Also, thanks to Meemaw25, Beardface5000, and Upstart, and Stefan, Stephen, I'm not sure how to say that, I'm hoping I said it right, but thanks for leaving reviews about the show on iTunes. Reviews on iTunes help increase the show's visibility and help to spread the word around. Thanks to Unit Omega for retweeting our posts on Twitter for so many weeks. And finally, thank you to the curator of the Fuck Yeah! Drunk and Ugly blog for reblogging all our stuff, cross-posting fan works, coming up with some original content. Uh, we got a link for that in the doobly-doo down below. Thanks again to all you guys. You're all super great. Now here's the show. Hello, radio. Hello, internet. Uh, this is Travis. Uh, we're going to be ta- uh, today. I brought along two of the artists in the Drunk and Ugly podcast that I do on the side, Amanda Carney and Hannah Herkert. We're going to talk Hello. about the more artistic side of Mad Max. Um, I'm not an artist. These people are. They're formally trained and everything. If you'd like to introduce yourself, Hannah, you can go ahead. All right. Uh, hello, my name's Hannah Herkert. I've got a BFA in 2D. Uh, art, and I really, really enjoyed this movie, and I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, Hi, I'm Amanda Carney. My degree is uh, interdisciplinary, actually, between fine arts and English, and I also really enjoyed this movie, and I I think it might be kind of weird that that we think it's so artistic, you know, that's not really something that people are going to go into an action movie thinking, but this this is a really artistic movie. Well, let's hop in then. Uh, what's so artistic about it? Because coming from the science fiction con- t- tradition, me and the rest of the people at the radio show recognize the narrative influence of it. We recognize Max as the character, the way they use the narrative, the right they created their own terminology. But what artistic styles, what kind of visual storytelling did you see while you were watching the movie? Uh, first and foremost, I definitely saw the world building through the character design and the props. Like, first off, the cars are crazy amazing between oh yeah uh between max's v8 and the different like frankenstein cars that are just that you see throughout the movie um and then also with the character designs it's very easy to tell the backstory of a character in their design and they're very visually focused i believe i yeah i think and that's uh, couldn't you say because you you like marathoned all of the mad max movies but that's yep. kind of that's kind of something that every movie does, you know, George, that's something that George Miller does, the visuals and how a character looks and is a part, as much of a part of the story as like the dialogue or the, and the narrative is. And I think it's interesting that you can jump into Fury Road without seeing any previous Mad Max films and still get it. Yeah, Fury Road actually inspired me, or motivated me to go and watch the previous Mad Max movies, which I only had like a hazy recollection of like, two men enter, one man leave. Something, something, Master Blaster. <laughs> something, something. And then I went back and watched it, and it was, he he does characters very, very well, and showing a character, like, their alignment or who they are through their, 
through the design of the character it was done very well throughout all the movies and, and the especially Mad- so in Fury Road I, I I would say yeah the Mad Max style is a style all its own too you know there, there's there's jokes about like you know weird leather bound people in the desert and that's the Mad Max style you know uh it's it's uh an icon iconic yeah that makes sense um so you commented on color do you, do you do you have any that you can think off the top of your head kind of a way to to visualize it? Uh, you don't have to worry about spoilers. We're going to have a major spoiler tag at the beginning of this <laughs> because we're talking about an entire series. But I remember um, you, you, you mentioned everybody kind of has their own color and their own identity can be um, – their identity and personalities can be identified through what they wear, their color scheme. Um, have you noticed a trend uh, – so, for instance um, – uh, in Fury Road, do you have anybody specific that stands out? And in, in any of the old Mad Maxes, Hannah, if do you have any that stand out back there? And do you see any direct kind of lineage from the first to the newest one, or any ways that it's improved? This one's definitely way more saturated than any of the old ones. It's it's much more colorful. Um, yeah. I think I like all the past ones were very muted in tone and very realistic in their color, and Fury Road is just like, bam, in your face, saturated color, especially with some of the um more noticeable background characters like the guitar uh the the do foyer the do foyer uh yeah. with his uh red red pjs it looks like he's wearing <laughs> just like a red onesie um or even the the one wife's hair is super bright like bottle red which all capable yeah capable um and just there there are a couple of uh color associations that i picked up on a on subsequent subs further watching of the movies um subsequent. was Subsequent, thank you, uh, that I picked up on subsequent uh, watching, uh, viewing of the movie, um, was the fact that both the wives and Amort and Joe were dressed in white, and how different it made. Like, well, the War Boys too; they were pasted in the white clay, and just the different com- the different symbolism that can come from that's associated with the color white. It becomes like purity and innocence on the wives, but on the War Boys and Amort and Joe, it's like a death shroud. Yeah. Also, you know, it just makes blood show up that much better. Yeah, which is super important in an action movie. Yeah. Which only happens the once in Fury Road. It's not a very bloody movie I was, for an action well, movie. I was about to say, compared to some of the older movies, there's not that. There's a lot of implied violence and there's a lot of explosions, but there's not a lot of blood in the movie. And um, I forget. Let me look it up real fast. Yeah, I had a friend who's got kids, and and I'm like, you should go totally. I told her you should go see this movie, and she's like, I don't know, I got my kids, I don't know if I could take them. It's you know, it's rated what R, it's rated R, and I'm like, yeah, but I, you, they could probably handle it, you know, like tell honest, tell kids to honestly, go see all, all the movie. violence, all the violence was like implied. There was only one yeah. really gory shot when Immortan Joe goes down, where he takes off his breathing, where his uh, breathing mask is ripped from his face, um. But otherwise, they touched on a lot of heavy stuff without actually showing it. Like, yeah. the older audiences would be, would be able to grasp what the wives went through uh, really easily, and kids would just see cool action explosions, cool cars. I want to drive a car like Nux. Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, my friend told me that her kids had seen Kill Bill, and I'm like, your kids are going to be fine if they've seen Kill Bill and they want to go see Mad Max. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's kind of one of the things, is it felt more like a PG-13 an 80s PG-13 movie instead of one of those R-rated movies. It felt like very action-oriented, lots of explosions, constant action, but there was constant no... Action. 
there was no like over the top violence or anything. It was rated R because of the amount of explosions and implied content and <laughs> and and just the amount of action, but there was nothing that you wouldn't you you if you were okay with your children watching it, you would be okay with taking them to the theater. Yeah. Also, can I say the action was very clear? The entire, the first time I watched it, I never had a moment where I was all like, wait, where did this come from? You never had or, a Transformers moment. Like, who's I never had a Transformers, yeah, it's, that's, I, that's probably exactly why I couldn't get through the first Transformers movie, because <laughs> I was just, everything was so shaky, and I didn't know what was going where, and there were, but Mad Max has really good visual cues, and I'm going to name drop a few people because they're important to the production of it. Um, Margaret Sixel was the editor, um and is George Miller's wife, if I'm not mistaken. So she was the one who did all the editing for the movie and got she's those... Never, she's never edited an action movie, though, before, She has right? never edited... Mm-hmm. This is her she first had one. Never, she had never edited an action movie before, but George Miller came to her and said, I need just... You being a woman will help keep this from being like any other action movie, and I think it totally... It's completely different, because all the action is so clear, you know exactly what's going on. And so credit to Margaret Sixel for the editing and also credit to Mark Sexton who like made an entire movie a, an entire storyboard for the movie which uh over 3500 like storyboards just for this movie that's there wasn't awesome. much of a script it was literally like drawn out like a comic and that's how they figured out the camera shots well there isn't much of a script like there's a like like we we're talking about a lot of the story is told through visuals there's there's dialogue and you know there's their how they communicate with one another which is kind of like this weird post-apocalyptic some words are a little bit skewed from what we would know but we still understand what they are but uh, a lot of the movie is uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk a little bit about being a nerd right now. So Nate and I went to Colossal Con. Nate's my boyfriend for everyone. We went to this comic convention, this anime convention, and we cosplayed. I was Furiosa and he was Mad Max. And we were like, "How do we get into co- how do we get into character?" And they're like, "Well, you just hold weapons and grunt a lot <laughs> because those two characters don't do a lot of talking, you know." And that's the wives do the most of it. Most of the language, and uh, that's one of the good things about Max and Furiosa, and that they aren't jabberers, for lack of a better term. They they express their emotions and their feelings through their actions, and if they do say words, there are weight to them. And as you were mentioning about the language, the language is what it, uh, is stripped down. It's a language that somebody. It's not superfluous. So like the gun farm and the oil city, Aquacola, these are all very simple language and words that low men and people who don't get much education can understand without having to think about. The longest one I think is gasoline is mentioned, and that was to the Russian raiders, and that that's an entire another society that probably has a more complex language for their complex location. They also call it guzzoline. Like guzzoline. I heard the word gas and I also heard guzzoline like yes. It's 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 back and forth, yeah. but yeah, you're right. There, there's probably not much of an education system in the post-apocalyptic wasteland of Australia, unless it's <laughs> learning how to fix cars, because there was an entire culture of warboys dedicated yeah. to that. Nux Nux implied that he was a black thumb or a repair boy, like he had to learn that in order to graduate to the status of driver. And there's just so much like little world building that they show, even just of the culture of the citadel between the argument between Nux and Slit of who's going to drive and how much of an honor it is to to the whole wit, like witness me culture of the war, war boys that is told so simply with like just visuals and things going on the on in the background that's just ah oh, it's amazing um but 
on on the topic of of our main characters, Max and Furiosa, just like not talking a lot. I will if I could have. Well, one of the criticisms of the movie that my boyfriend and I, when we saw it, we came out talking about is that we I love Charlize Theron as this role and everything. And Nate's not a huge Charlize Theron fan. He's still kind of a little bit burned from Prometheus, but whatever. Uh, and he said one of the things that kind of took him out of the movie is when Furiosa did have speaking parts, she was kind of the only one without an accent. And that really just sort of, that can sort of throw you off a little bit when you're supposed to be sort of immersed in this world. And I didn't have a problem with it. Like, he he noticed it more than I did. But the fact that she doesn't have many speaking parts to begin with, I think is, you know, is still... I didn't even notice it at all. She doesn't have an accent! (laughs) I I equated the no accent because I'm very similar in that she grew up She's implied that she has grown up with a culture and then got stolen away and raised in another one. She probably has yeah. an accent from one and has one for the other, but on her own does not share either one of them in private situations. Makes sense. Yeah. So you were talking about the the kind of how you were able to follow the action. Do you ha- do you know any reason why you felt it? I, you mentioned shaky cam for and kind of the the frenetic camera movements of. I'm guessing the born identity, but you specifically mentioned Transformers. Is there? Do, uh, do you know of any reason why? Um, um, that's uh, shaky cam is used to help uh, show impact when, like in a movie, like if you want an explosion, you rock the camera and be to give the viewer the illusion of the sense of being there and feeling that impact. And what a lot of what Mad Max does is center framing and eye tracing. And eye tracing is something that's used often, more often in animated in animated features where say you have an arrow shooting from the left to the right you show the arrow shooting from the left to the right and then you can do a uh, a cut with a sound effect and show the target having been hit without actually needing to show the arrow hitting the target and that is a way to show action um, without needing to worry about the shaky camera showing everything it's a lot of Im- implication and it uh, puts it puts a lot more on the viewer to fill in the gaps and i think that's the that also adds to the kind of meatiness of the action films in mad max that you see everything there is no there is implication but it's after 95 percent of the 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 situation has finished hmm. and that's center framing too that's that's a really important aspect especially especially sort of in in the art world you know having your focal point and having your foreground, middle ground, and background, and just really, really directing your audience's eye. Like, who, which director is really famous for putting like all of his shots being just Kubrick? front and center? Is it Kubrick? And, Wes Anderson's yeah. who I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. Well, both. Kubrick, <laughs> yeah, Kubrick does it on their faces, and the, and then Wes Anderson does it with uh, settings. Um, but yeah, yeah say, it's the same thing. If you put something in the center, uh, people's eyes are more naturally drawn to the center, and that's. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to put things off center. It creates for interesting composition. But if you yeah. want clarity of clarity and focus on a situation, you put what is most important at the center. And that is basically all of Mad Max is everything that is important is at the center. There's no dipping off to the side to show off like some cool action pose or anything. It's here's the action. It's in the middle. Well, Pay attention here. And that also helps wasteland. with Yes. And um but that center focusing also helps keep the action clear because if you keep the action at the center of the screen, you can easily go from cut to cut of different directions and stuff and not not confuse people. Hmm. And I guess 
So I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. We've been doing this for about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, I know we have some stuff on the show, and we're and you're we're always busy on the podcast with games and stuff. One last thing I want to mention is you talked about the cars and the V8s and kind of the the dressings. Uh, how do you feel about the props and kind of? I heard that like 95% of the movie is actual practical effects. Uh, y'all's take yeah. on that? It, love it it is. I love it. And I, the more I learn about it and I learned and I search for behind the scenes things, there were things that George Miller didn't even know that were going to be, uh, physical, uh, physical stunts, like all of the stunts with the pole cats. The he was pole all like, cats. Well, the pole cats. He's like, we'll just CG that, see, like, CG those inks. I don't want anyone to get hurt. But the crew were the ones who were like, no, no, George, we can do this. We can do this. And they presented him with the footage and he's all like, oh, wow, holy, holy buckets, Batman. This is going to be, this is going to happen. We're going to do this for real. <laughs> And it's just, I think it gives the movie so much weight that they decided to do such practical stunt work without it being overshadowed by, overshadowed by the CGI. And the CGI just complementing it is just, it's, I believe it's crazy good. I would highly recommend it. Yeah, and I think that should be something that's done more. You know, CGI used more to complement a film than to replace certain practical effects and artwork that might go into um, any sort of production. So we've talked about that before on the Sci-Fi Lab, and I'll toot my own horn, but this is something that we've mentioned. Toot, toot, toot. But this is something that we mentioned back when we talked about Jurassic Park, and we will probably discuss next week when when we watch Jurassic World. Oh, but the, mm. the original Jurassic Park was a mixture of practical effects and CGI, and that's why it still holds up to today. If you yeah. look after that, because of the how successful Jurassic Park was. Since then, the majority of CGI has been very crisp, clean to show off the power of it. Example of this has to be the the Star Wars prequel universe, where everything is spotless and completely clean. There's no grime, there's no muck, and it kind of takes you out of it. I think yeah. Mad Max and some of the more interesting ones nowadays are the ones that are going back to the blending of the practical and the CGI so that you get the, the nitty-gritty, dirty feel of the props and the practical effects, but you have the ability to touch up with the CGI. Yeah. Hey, Hannah. Yes, Manda. What would you uh, say is probably one of your favorite parts of uh, the visual world building and everything like that before we let Travis oh, go? Before he lets us go? Everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you had to pick one! Uh, if I had to pick one, I think it would be the use of character design to tell a story like um from Furiosa's arm and her uh mechanical arm and Immortan Joe's breathing apparatus and his son's breathing apparatus to Nux's chest scars and the diagram of a V8 engine and just all of those small little tiny character details help you fill in so much and create such a immersive world yeah. i think that is probably my favorite part of this movie in general and in that vein in particular, I gotta say, like, probably one of, one of my, I don't wanna say one of my favorites, but probably one of the easiest things of that to bring up would be, like, when the wives are drinking a liquid out of the truck and they ask, what's that? And they say, it's mother's milk. And you know exactly because there was a brief shot in the beginning of the movie where you see Essentially, women hooked up to tanks, you know instantly that's where it came from, and no one's got to be like, oh, it's mother's milk, where you milk it from, blah, 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 blah. Like, no. Yeah, there's, One there's shot, no exposition. Two words, that's all you need to go, oh. <laughs> The characters are characters in this world, and they know the world, and they don't 
ex they don't exposition anything and you yeah. pick it up through visuals in combination with whatever sparse dialogue there is. Yeah. And even even the mother's milk scene right uh that you're mentioning also it helps with Max and that he doesn't care as long as it's n- it, 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 he comes back from whatever he was doing off screen he comes back and he asks what is this and the moment he hears that it's something that you can use he just doesn't care and he starts wiping his face and drinking it because he's the survivor he's just this kind of he doesn't care what it is as long as it doesn't kill him yeah i mean you wouldn't either if you were in the post-apocalyptic australian wasteland i don't know australia is pretty close to that already And with that, uh, thank you two for being on the radio with us. Uh, if you have a website you'd like to share with us? Um, mm. <laughs> well, I am part of the Drunk and the Ugly, so I'll just yeah. pimp that. And if people are super curious about about me, then they can probably contact me through there. If so, uh, if people want to check out my work, I've got a I've got a portfolio Tumblr up. I just threw up really really quickly to show off some of my more professional things. It's uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Carney portfolio. Let me double check. <laughs> a Carney portfolio slash dot tumblr dot com. I'm pretty sure. Let me, let me double check. This is the worst. I'll even know my own portfolio. Yeah, a Carney portfolio. A C A R N E Y portfolio. Tumblr. Com. You can see a couple things that I've done, some paintings, some digital work. All right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, hope to hear from y'all again. If y'all see any movies or anything interesting, uh, science fiction, or you just kind of see interested, feel free to tweet at us at the Sci-Fi Lab or poke me on Skype as I am right now. Travis, I saw Jurassic World the other day. Well, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, goodbye. Thank you for having me. Later. See ya.